Uh, welcome to Village Bible Church. Uh, my name is Steve Lombardo. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm honored and privileged and thankful uh, to bring God's Word to you this morning. We are Village Bible Church, and so uh, we go to the Bible as the inspired Word of God. We believe that the Bible is God's revealed Word to us. So when we gather together, the central thing that happens is the teaching of God's Word. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. And we believe that God changes people through the preaching of His Word. And so we're all about the Bible. Now, we're not, we don't worship the Bible, but we worship the main character of the Bible. And the main character of the Bible is Jesus. Great. If you never know the answer in church, say Jesus. It's probably right. And, uh, and so we worship the Lord together. And so I invite you to grab your Bible, and we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And this is our spiritual food uh, for the morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a broken or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and, all, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word to us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher, that you would speak to us directly of that which would change us this morning for our good and for your glory. So we ask, Lord, that you would guide us, you would change us and that you would cause us to rejoice because of the work that is yet to come we pray this in jesus name amen amen you may be seated if you don't come from a christian background you won't understand the next two minutes of the sermon um, if you haven't been in the christian world if you don't know uh, some of the inside things of Christianity. If you don't speak Christianese, it's going to be hard for you to understand the next couple of minutes. Uh, here, here's what I mean. For example, if you're not a Cubs fan, you don't understand the animosity inside Cub Nation, the animosity in people's hearts towards Steve Garvey. Deep right field, way back, cut a gun back to the wall. And there will be tomorrow. 
watch that. That's enough. That's enough, Phil. 1984 National League Championship Series. I hate Steve Garvey. Um, he's probably a wonderful man, probably a wonderful guy, but, um, but if you're part of Cub Nation, you realize, or you, right away, you heard Steve Garvey, you remember 1984, if you're that old. And uh, in the same way, if you're from a Christian background, if you grew up in a Christian home, you're going to understand the thing I'm about ready to talk about. Um, but if you're not, and if you're new to Christianity, or you're new to the church, or you're not a believer, we're glad you're here, but you're not going to understand exactly the way that a Christian um, culture would understand these next two things. Here, here's what I'm talking about. The end times is a big topic. The idea of the day and the time when Jesus Christ returned is a big deal. And in Christian homes, there's lots of discussion and talk about the end times. There's talk about when and the timing that Jesus will return. I remember in my household wondering, is Jesus going to return today? And he might very well. That's a, that's a good question to ask to help motivate you as you how to live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of speculation that would happen. Since we were back in the 80s, let's stay in the 80s. 1988, there was a little booklet that came out that said, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. That book went on to sell over a million copies. Jesus didn't return in 1988, so he wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. I'm not kidding. Uh, yes, and it sold 10,000 copies. So 10,000 people still bought that second book. So there's a lot of speculation. And, and, and here's another thing that was a big deal. Talk of the rapture. Okay, the rapture is, is the idea that Christians will be caught up in the air, caught up to heaven uh, by God. And the way that I was raised, it, it, this rapture was going to, to take place before a set tribulation period. Okay? And so uh, that could happen at any moment. The rapture could happen at any moment. As, as we're going to see in this text that shows us a little bit more in depth that uh, we believe, uh, and we're teaching this, although we hold it with an open hand, we have different beliefs on this, that actually that caught up, that being raptured is going to happen at the re return of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And you'll see that Paul even describes what the Antichrist is going to be like, and we're going to, so how you can recognize him. Um, but the way that I was raised is we're going to be caught up before everything gets really bad. And so the question of being caught up, the rapture was a big deal. And Christian, Christian nation, you, you, you get this. Um, I remember coming home. I was 10 years old. Nobody was home. And... Uh, we didn't have cell phones. We had home phones, but nobody's home. Everybody's supposed to be home. What if the rapture happened? So I got on my, the phone and uh, called my dear, godly grandmother. You know her? Yes. She's great. Okay, yes. Yeah, that's right. See, Christianese. If you're not a Christian, you didn't grow up this way, you don't understand as what. Well, just oh, hang with me. So, ring. Ring ring she didn't answer the rapture surely happened now so then i called uh, an elder of the church that lived down the road and uh he answered right away so i was good uh or the rapture happened and he didn't go either then we were in trouble and uh and so the the rapture we talk about those things and then another topic about the end times is uh is the antichrist okay who's the antichrist going to be now, for the Thessalonians who are getting this letter from Paul, 
they might have an idea of who the Antichrist could be. Think about the first century. Who was the world power at the time? And who was the emperor on the throne? Who, who's this guy? Anybody know? Yes, Emperor Nero. Nero was uh, on the throne. And he was Antichrist, for sure. Uh, you thought that ISIS was bad. Nero, uh, he set fire. History tells us that he probably started the, the fire in Rome, which almost consumed the whole city in the year 64. And then he blamed Christians for it. So they gathered up Christians, people who claimed the name of Jesus Christ. They sewed animal skins on Christians and threw them into the arena and let wild animals tear them apart limb by limb. He would also crucify Christians. He would also burn Christians alive and put them on stakes in his garden that the people could see by the light of the burning bodies of Christians. Definitely an antichrist, but not the antichrist. Let's go to our lifetime. Adolf Hitler tapped into uh, the despair and the degradation that Germany faced coming out of World War I. And he came to power in the Nazi regime. As he was coming to power and as he was abusing the power, a Lutheran pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer prophetically stated this, Should the leader allow himself to succumb to the wishes of those he leads, he will always seek to turn him into an idol then the leader will gradually become the image of the misleader. This is the leader who makes an idol of himself and his office, thus mocking God. Bonhoeffer was executed just days before the liberation of his concentration camp, the liberation by the Allied forces. Hitler was definitely anti-Christ in the atrocities of World War II. What about the last 30 years? Well, who have some Christians thought could be the Antichrist? My day, my, my 80s, okay? Uh, Gorbachev. Cold War. Uh, the country uh, was going through this. I mean, could he have been the Antichrist was a question. I mean, I thought he could be. He already had the mark of the beast on his head. That's what I always thought. I really thought that, okay? And... Um, and he's not the Antichrist. I don't even know where he stands with, with the Lord. Maybe he's a believer. That would be cool. But um, So we speculate about these things. And we think of, of these things. And this has led to a pushback of now the millennials. You read about, a, lot, a lot about the millennials and, and, and different the new generations that come. And there's a pushback against uh, this idea of of the end times. And so much so that passages like the one that we're in today just get skipped over. Um, here's the cool thing about Village Bible Church. We go through all the passages of Scripture, verse by verse, and, and uh, even the hard ones. How many know that Pastor Tim doesn't sugarcoat things? And we're going to go through the hard ones together and see and wrestle with the text of, of what it is. But a lot of people want to just, uh, hey, let's, we don't know what's going to happen, so just forget about the end times, forget about what is to come, and forget about the passages that deal with it. Some of the struggle and the angst that is felt in this is, is I think, rightly captured in an article uh, in Charisma News by Jessalyn Justice. She wrote this article entitled, Why Millennials Are Turned Off by All the End Time Talk. She says this, I'm from a generation that, looking to our future, the days to come can be intimidating when the headlines are full of despair. The more stories I read about the gut-wrenching attacks against Saeed Abdidini, 
unborn children, Coptic Christians, or even U.S. citizens who don't want to bake cakes for someone they don't agree with, the more I wonder just how close we are to Christ's return. And if you think those thoughts? She goes on, tack those observations onto the blood moon and other patterns, and my head starts to spin. Whether or not we are at the end of times, I do not know. But what I know is we need an appeal to heaven with a sense of hope. And only God can change our condition. When we talk about the end times, I think there's a sense of fear-mongering that exists in the form of warnings. Someone close to me once confessed that she grew up believing she would never get married, have children, or live even to her 20th birthday because the Antichrist was coming. Trust me when I say this friend is alive and kicking well past those milestones and looking forward to many more. But until she conquered her fear and realized that Christ is still on the throne, she couldn't live the life that he planned for her. When we live in a state of fear about the future, we hinder ourselves from celebrating what Christ can do in the here and now and how we can affect the future for his glory. I think she's right. And so we come to this text today. And this text is not about the Antichrist. He is not the subject of our text. And this text isn't written to bring about fear, rather just the opposite. It is to give us hope and courage and peace and strength because God is in control, because Christ is on the throne, and because in the end, He wins. And those who are found in Christ get to share in His victory. So here's the big idea, okay? Big idea is this. God gives us the truth about the future so we can live with hope and peace in the present. God gives us the truth about the future so that we can live with hope and peace in the present. Let's start here with the situation. The situation that we find ourselves in. Let's just catch up here with Thessalonica and the church there. Pastor Tim has been talking about this church. We've learned a lot about the church, where it was located, what was going on, the work that God was doing. But just very quickly, this was a growing church. We don't know what the numbers were, uh, but we do know this. Chapter 1, verse 3, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. This is a growing church. We don't know about the numbers, as Tim stated a couple of weeks ago. Um, they might not have been on the fastest growing churches listed by Outreach Magazine. Um, but they were a great church. They were growing in their faith even though they were being persecuted. They were loving one another and serving one another even though it was hard. This is a growing church. This is a great church. By the way, we had a record-breaking Easter here at Village Bible Church across all four of our campuses. About 1,400 people came to hear about the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Very cool here at Sugar Grove. We had nearly 1,000 people that came. And uh, that's a record for us, and that's something to be excited about. God, God brought people, God drew people in. But if people don't come to believe in Jesus Christ, if people don't come and repent of their sin, if people don't come and grow in their faith, if people don't come and be changed by the gospel of Christ, then who cares what crowd you draw? Big deal, a thousand people. You can draw thousands of people to stuff that doesn't have any eternal significance. And so the proof's still in the pudding for us. Are we going to have a church that is growing in our faith and in our love? 
And we're drawing a crowd not merely to have the numbers and say, look at the crowd we can draw, but to have the numbers and draw the crowd to point them to Jesus for salvation and sanctification. When that happens, man, that's, that's a great church. I think God's doing that in our midst, and it's exciting to be a part of it. Are you excited to be a part of God's church here? So that was the situation. So here's the deception then. The deception that Paul writes about. He says that some of you are talking that uh, Jesus Christ has already come. So Jesus Christ has already come and Jesus Christ has already gone. He says whether you've heard it by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, they've heard evidently uh, that Jesus Christ had already come. And guess what, then? The implication of this false teaching, the implication is this. He's come, and he's forgotten about you. He's forgotten about you, Christians in Thessalonica. You who are growing. You who, God is at work, obviously. And now you're alarmed because you think maybe Christ has come and gone and left you behind. Now, it's hard for us to uh, really think about the way that communication happened in the first century. Our lives are so much different. We have the World Wide Web at our fingertips. where We have tablets and computers and our phones and our TVs. Everything's hooked. I, I want for my uh, birthday, Amazon Echo. You have it in your house. You can talk to Alexa, is her name. It tells you anything, the temperature. And you can uh, turn, turn on your car. You can do everything. Make a to-do list. Uh, those things don't really sound that impressive. But anyway, if you watch a commercial, you'll be impressed by this little thing. You can order pizza. That was going that sold me. But in the first century, this information didn't travel like this. Two thousand years ago, if you wanted to send a message to somebody, you would have to send it along with a courier or a merchant who was already going that direction. And there was no guarantee that it would get there. There was no confirmation of delivery. And it could take weeks and months, and it did. And then when rumors started uh, going... Um, let's just say it was hard to stop those rumors because people wouldn't know what the truth was because you couldn't find it out for months. So evidently, this was happening in Thessalonica. The deception was that Jesus Christ has come and He left you and He's gone again. This is what they're being told. Now, this deception, this false teaching uh, would lead and could lead for us if if we believe that Christ isn't coming back again, uh, this would, number one, it would rob us of our peace. It could rob us of our peace. Because everything that we believe, that which gives us peace in the gospel, that Jesus Christ saves us from sin, that Jesus died for our sin, that He rose again, everything that we believe hinges on the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead and that Jesus is returning. The two R's. Jesus Christ has been raised and Jesus Christ will return. Those two go together. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm tying the resurrection into the return of Christ because they go hand in hand. And, and this is what Paul is writing about, the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised, if Christ then, the implication is is not going to return, he's not coming again, then what, what are we doing here this morning? It's a beautiful day outside, I could be doing yard work. If Christ has not been raised, if Christ is not returning, then, then why are we singing songs? I mean, what a joke if, if it's not true. See, this is not a, a, a hope so or a fairy tale. This is rooted in historical reality and truth that Jesus lived, died, rose again, and is coming again. And this is what we believe, and this is what we hold on to, and this gives us peace even in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. I remember when dad would leave uh, for different meetings at times. He's a pastor and he'd go for weeks of meetings. They don't do that much anymore, like revival meetings and different things like that. He would go and it almost always seemed like stuff would go bad when dad was gone. And, uh, but there was always the promise that dad was going to come home. And then it'd be made right. Things would be okay because dad's coming. Now there's also the flip side of it. Dad's coming home too. So you're going to get yours if you deserve it. Jesus is coming. That gives us peace for those who are found in Him. Gives us peace. Let me give you some things I jotted down. What the promise of the return of Christ gives us. First, gives us peace. We just said that. Second, the promise of the return of Jesus Christ gives us hope. Gives us hope. The hope is this. Is the grave is not the end. See, we didn't see the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. His followers, some of them got to see, over 500 people got to see the risen Savior. We didn't get to see Him, but He's coming again. There's a day that we will have, that we will see Him face to face. We'll see Jesus Christ, and He's coming again. And that gives us hope because, get this, the grave is not the end. One of my first funerals as a pastor was uh, for a little baby that uh, was born... He lived 10 days. I was in the hospital. I was at the hospital with the family those days. And a little guy was holding on and all the tubes and the cords and so hard. And uh, he died. And so we had the funeral and, um, and the visitation at the, at the funeral home and his little body there. And, and um, my firstborn, actually my secondborn, I think, uh, Tyrus was that age. And uh, I was just overcome with emotion and then have the little white casket. And everything in me hurt. And this is wrong. And you even feel it now. It's evil. It's wrong. It's not right. And it isn't. But the return of Christ gives us hope because that little white casket isn't the end. Your casket is not the end. The return of Jesus Christ says there's more yet to come. Thirdly, the return of Christ gives us strength. Gives us strength because our bodies will be remade. What a promise this is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How many here have outward parts that are wasting away and getting old? That's okay. The inward man, the inward woman, the the work that God is doing, He's renewing you day by day, and you're getting stronger, and you're getting better, and that even gives us hope because we get a super body in the end. It's called a resurrection body. We call it super body in my home. We always talk about that with the kids. You're going to get a super body someday. It's like Jesus. It's the body that Jesus had. It's a real body, but it's really different. It's Jesus was uh, recognized by his disciples. He talked with them. He ate with them. They could touch him. They could feel him. He, he could appear, and then he could not appear. It was miraculous. We don't know it all. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural body. That's a promise for us. So even though this body wastes away and gets old, there is a new body that is coming. We're going to have a, a resurrection body that doesn't get cancer. We're going to have a resurrection body that doesn't get old. We're going to get a resurrection body that um, cannot be killed. The return of Jesus Christ oh, gives us strength. Fourthly, the return of Christ gives us closure. Here's what I mean by this. It's me- it means that justice will be meted. There's coming a day for justice. There's coming a day for judgment. There's coming a day for accountability. And that's a good thing. Back in the early 2000s, while I was just starting out seminary, I was up in at Trinity in Deerfield, and uh, my brother, who's in the Navy, him and a buddy were taking a six-month course at the Great Lakes, Great Lakes Naval Station. And, uh, and so they... Uh, one night we were going to get together and, and go out to eat and we went out to eat up there by the base and uh, in, in North Chicago and it was kind of a rough area. I didn't know the area. They didn't know the area either. And we were uh, eating, eating there together. I think there was a Bulls game. We were watching the Bulls game and afterwards it, it, the game got done. Uh, we were going out back to the car and a guy came out and talking to my brother and his buddy and saying some, something about of the Navy and, and my brother and his buddy, they're two Navy SEALs, and, and he's trying to start a fight, okay? Um, you don't have to try to start a fight too hard with Navy SEALs, by the way, okay? So they'll, they'll fight. And so all I remember is a van came screeching into the parking lot, and people poured out of the van. I don't know how many people. And they were just overrun by people. I got hit like one time. I was kind of away from them, and I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't, I can't jump in there. Um, and I'm not a Navy SEAL. I wanted to run. Um, so I was like, I just started calling, the police are here. The police are here. Maybe that would get them to, to stop. Well, I don't know if they didn't. And I just remember seeing uh, my brother go to the ground and people surrounding him and just stomping on his head. And I thought, he's dead. And same for the other guy. Um, well, they lived. And, uh, to go to the hospital, great damage to the face. He couldn't breathe out of his nose for months. Um, broken orbital bones, all those things. And I remember going home and, and talk, talking to my mom and dad and about what had happened. And uh, a friend of the family was there, a, a Vietnam vet, uh, was at our house, Christian guy. 
great guy, and he's, he said, let's get some guys together. Let's go find who did this. And uh, I understood his heart because everything in me wanted that too. I wanted vengeance. Something was wronged. And I wanted to make it right, except I'm not God. And God says this. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And so there is coming a day of payment. There's coming a day, and, and it's, it's closure to those situations. Maybe you have a situation in your life that you've been wronged deeply. You've been hurt deeply. There's coming justice for you. There's coming a day of closure. Jesus Christ is going to return. And you and I, we like that idea of punishment as well, unless the punishment, the justice, is on us. And that's where we have the hope and the truth in, in the cross and in the resurrection, that we're found in Christ that day is not a day to be feared. That's why Paul's writing, not so we'd have fear. We have peace then. Even though the day of justice is coming and it will be terrible. And Jesus is strong in his righteousness and in his wrath. But for those who are trusting in Christ, for believers, for his disciples, this day is not a day to be feared. It's a day to look forward to the coming of Christ that does bring closure. Fifthly, the promise of the return of Christ gives us belonging gives us belonging because the kingdom is fully here. You see, we live in the already, but not yet. We believe in Jesus Christ, and we're part of His kingdom, and we're part of the church, and we get to be a part of a lot of good things, but it's not here all the way yet. There's still caskets. There's still beatings. There's still murders. There's still evil, but there's, there's coming a day where we're going to be part of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, we pray. And that kingdom is coming. And Jesus, the promise of His return is that we, we have this heritage. We have this family to look forward to. Revelation chapter 21. Listen to this description. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. That's our heritage that we have to look forward to. The promise of the return of Christ is, is a promise of belonging. The new heavens and the new earth. With the new bodies. Heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. It, it, it's, it's so wonderful. I, I can't even imagine. Neither can you. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is even conceived of the things that the Lord has planned for those who love Him, the Word says. What a great thing. And by the way, if you're a funeral director, you're going to have to find a new job in heaven. If you make caskets for a living, you're going to have to find a new job. If you're a doctor, you're going to have to find a new job. If you're a preacher, I would recommend finding a new job because you can go hear Jesus preach every Sunday, okay? The promise of the return of Christ is such a thing that gives us peace, hope, strength, closure, belonging. 
But this false teaching that Jesus Christ has already come, and you missed out on all this, not only uh, would it rob us of our peace, it could also ruin our perspective. You notice that Paul says in the text, in verse 5, I've told you these things before. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Paul had taught them that, that the rebellion is yet to come. That's what we're going to get to. He had reminded them that the end is not here yet. Jesus Christ is still going to return. And certain things will happen that you'll see. And then you'll know His return is imminent. And you say, so what is the truth? We'll get there in a, in a minute. But we have to have the right perspective. The Thessalonians had the wrong perspective. They were shifted to the wrong things. They had been told by either a spirit, a prophet, or a spoken word, or a written letter. Somehow they got this idea that, that Christ has already returned, and so their perspective had gotten off. I coach baseball, and when we make the foul lines, you can put down the, the string and, and follow the string and stuff like that, but sometimes you don't have time to do that. You just got to go uh, free, freelance, freehand, and just go and make the lines as straight as possible. Well, if you find a spot out in the outfield or on the fence and you, and you focus in on that, your perspective is locked on and you just go straight ahead, you can make that line pretty straight. But if you start looking at the rocks and the bumps in the road and the, and the grass and you're trying to make it straight, you turn around, you're all over the place. It's the same idea that Peter had when he walked on the water. Jesus called to Peter, come walk, walk to me. And Peter, eyes fixed on Jesus, got out and walked on the water like Jesus did. But then Peter started to look at the waves and, and the foam and the wind and everything's crashing upon him and he starts to sink. It's because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And Thessalonians were, had the wrong perspective. They had forgotten what Paul had taught them. Their eyes were not fixed on Jesus and they were thinking about the, the what-ifs. And they forgot about the truth that was already taught to them. And here's what the truth was. The truth was that there was a rebellion. There was a rebellion that was going to take place before the return of Christ. The return of Christ will be preceded by a great apostasy. We see in verse 3. For the day will come, Paul says, unless the rebellion comes first. The day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. There's going to be a rebellion such that we've never seen. For example, we read Paul's letter to Timothy. He's saying that there's coming a day that even people who call themselves Christians, they're, they're going to want to have people that tickle their ears. There's coming a day when people will want to be, be told the good things, as we said, the sugar-coated stuff, and not hear the truth. There's coming a day. Is that day here? There's coming a day when people will turn from all that is good and holy and righteous, and it will be like the days of Noah where the flood came and judgment upon them Apostasy means this, the abandonment or renunciation of a religious or political belief. Is this happening today? So the return of Christ will be preceded by a great apostasy. They already knew this. Paul had taught them this. And he also taught them the second thing of this rebellion. That the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist will lead this rebellion as though he were God. And so this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, the Antichrist, is going to come up and he's not going to produce the rebellion, but he's going to be the culmination of the rebellion. Things will get so bad and things will be all over the place that there's going to be some guy who's going who's to manage to muster all of the strength of the evil of the apostasy and come to the forefront as the guy. And he's going to do some pretty amazing things. 
Verse 4. He will exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So he's going he's gonna to take the place of all other gods, small g, and he's going to proclaim himself to be the God, big G. And then he's going to do this with the power of Satan and actually do some supernatural things, false signs and wonders. Verse 9. So we don't know what this is, and it's maybe fun to speculate about it, but this is going to be a guy who's got some power. And he's going to rise up at the head of this apostasy, of the rebellion of the world, and he's going to be at the forefront. Let me give you six things, according to this text, about the Antichrist that we learn. The Antichrist, number one, is a person. You see in the text it says this, he's the man of lawlessness. Now the spirit of the man of lawlessness, the the Antichrist, exists all throughout time and we see Antichrist. But this is a specific person we see from the text. Number two, he is destined for destruction. You see that there he's called in the ESV the son of destruction. Some of your translations have the son of perdition. Perdition, destruction, that means the son of hell. That means he's going to hell. That means he's going to judgment. That means his power won't last. It means he's going down in the end. He's called the son of perdition. Number three, he will seek to glorify himself. We're created, men and women, we're created to glorify God in all that we do. And we can do it in everything. When we eat a great meal, we thank God for the meal. The meal, we don't worship the meal. We, we roll up our, our, our feelings, our thoughts, and our praise and praise God who gave us the meal. We love our spouse and we marry our spouse and we're faithful to our spouse. We don't worship our spouse, but we worship the God who gave us our spouse. Now the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to take all these things and seek to get the glory for himself and to take it away from God and onto him. Number four. He's being restrained. See that here twice, Paul says. The mystery of lawlessness, so the spirit of lawlessness, is always, is, only, is always already, I should say, at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. There's a restraining here, and commentators differ exactly on who is doing the restraining. The big idea is God is doing the restraining, God's spirit that is still at work in us. Some commentators say, well, it's people that are doing the restraining. But that's still God is the author at the end. The big idea is this, is that the, the, the order that we have, in some ways, there's still a sense of righteousness, of right and wrong. There's still a sense of answering uh, to a higher power in this world. That whole system is going down. It's being restrained right now. The system is restraining it. It's We're still in an evil place. We're still dealing with sin. We're still dealing with sinners. But there's still a sense of hope. There's coming a day where he will come to power and there is no hope. And he will say, unless it's with him. Number five, this Antichrist will fight Jesus. Quote, unquote. It's like me saying I'm going to race Usain Bolt. That's not a race. Okay, Uh, the Antichrist isn't going to get a punch in. Jesus Christ appears and returns, verse 8, Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. 
Jesus Christ comes and wipes out the Antichrist. And we're going to see he wipes out the rebellion by the, the power and the might of his word. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And he's coming as the rider on the right ho- white horse. And he does the fighting against evil. And he brings the justice and he's bringing it. And no one can stand. See, how, how silly that this Antichrist could even think that the one who spoke all there is into existence, that he could approach him. It's the word of Christ that will wipe him out. That is promised. And number six. The Antichrist is not Satan, but he will come in his power. See this, verse nine. This is the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, but it is a man of lawlessness. So there's six things from our text about the Antichrist. One of the reasons why we we think that um, Christians will be around during the tribulational period is that Paul writes here ways to identify who the Antichrist is and know that the rebellion is happening. This is all written to believers and saying, here, here's, the, here's what the day is going to look like. Remember, I've already told you. You'll know when Christ is coming soon. He's not going to come and just leave. He's going to come to rule and reign. So here's the solution. God will destroy the man of lawlessness. It's not a fight. It's not even close. Jesus wins. And then Jesus will also, God will, judge the unrighteous. He'll judge the unrighteous. Now we said we we don't sugarcoat things here, but um, you're a lot more sinful than you think. And I say that because I've said it to myself. We tend to think of ourselves as better than we are. We do. I see my kids playing sports, and I think back, I was so much better than my kids when I was playing sports. But in reality, if I had videotape of when I played, I bet you I was worse. We tend to build ourselves up. And the reality is we we hide so many things. There's so much junk and sin and garbage in our life and that unrighteousness will be rightly punished. But Jesus has made a way not only for you to escape punishment but to have a relationship with the God who created you. He's made a way for you to be forgiven. He's made a way for you to be growing in Christ-likeness and in righteousness. He's made a way to give you His righteousness, and that's the cross. And that's the resurrection. And so, believer, hold on to this truth. This is the truth. This is the solution. The judgment is coming, but we hold on to the truth, who is Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we hold on to the truth. If things get worse, we're going to hold on to the truth. We're not going to waver. If they threaten... They, whoever it is, the Antichrist or government or anybody threatens to shut up the church, we're going to hold on to truth. We're going to hold on to truth because the Lord Jesus Christ wins. So let us hold firmly to the truth so that we can stand when the day comes. The day is going to come and the fire reveals what you're made of. Some people who call themselves Christians will be part of the apostasy and the rebellion. 
others will be faithful to the end. Where are you at? Hold on to the truth. Hold on to Christ. He is coming back. And a glorious day that will be. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for your word this morning. We pray that as we see this day approach, Lord, you would strengthen us to be uh, your people, to be a light in the world for truth. And that we would be the heralds as well, that we would say that this day is coming, that Jesus Christ is returning to turn to, to to the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin. Lord, that we would speak the truth always in love. So Lord, we don't know the details or what the headlines will be when this happens, but we know it could happen at any time. So Lord, save us, we pray. We, we thank you that you will. And give us, even in our spirits now, the, the joy of the, of the return of the Lord Jesus and all the promises that come with it. You are a good God, and your mercy endures forever. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.